Hello and welcome to another episode of the Add a Zero podcast. It's our determination and mission to be able to support a million business owners to add a zero to their personal disposable income. And I'm delighted today to say that this episode is a special edition because once again, we have a guest. So you're a business owner dedicated to the significant and sustainable growth of both you and your business. Welcome to the Add a Zero podcast. Now, I'm very conscious of the fact that at the time of recording this, it's a very somber time of the uh, time of the year uh, right now on the basis that less than 24 hours ago, we, we learnt um, across the world that Putin has chosen to be able to take troops um, across the border. Um, and certainly within Europe, um, there is a, a, a war brewing um, as tanks today um, are being rapidly moving towards Kiev um, and NATO is looking to make some form of response. You might wonder as to what on earth has that got to do with, with this particular podcast. Um, and I was debating, certainly in the last 12 hours or so, as to whether now is the right time to actually record today's podcast with regards to everything else that's happening in the world. But in all fairness, I've chosen to go ahead because I think that in, in some aspects, the conversation that we're going to have today is perhaps as relevant as at any other time of the year, if not more so, because today we've got the benefit of being able to have a conversation with Mike Donahoe, who's the business lead for Caspian Insurance. And we're going to talk today all about protection. Mike, thanks very much for joining us. Today's Add a Zero special guest. Morning, Jay. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Really looking forward to it. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Mike, before we get into the detail, perhaps you just give us two or three sentences with regards to who's Mike Donahoe and who's Caspian? <laughs> so um, I, uh, I run the, the business protection arm of Caspian Insurance, which is a, uh, a life insurance broker based in the, the, the heart of Manchester. Um, I kind of stumbled into financial services like a lot of people do um, straight out of university. Um, and I spent the, the vast majority of my career learning, working in big, big companies, specializing in helping business owners understand the risks. Um, and then I met a guy who, whose vision I really, really liked and somebody who, you know, presented me with an opportunity to, to see if I could practice what I preached. Um, so, uh, I moved over from the insurance, the ins the big global insurer side to uh, what was then three years ago, a small uh, broker um, to see if I could put into practice what I'd learned for the, the 15 or 16 years before that. So, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a, a consistent journey in, in, in financial services for me since since straight out of university back in 2004. And, and I guess that guy's Ollie, um, and subsequently, you know, you're you're now part of the uh, of the leadership team within Caspian Insurance. Yes, that's right. So um, Ollie started the business with with himself and a couple of others. Um, you know, tried to scale it quickly, learnt learnt those mistakes, scaled right back down again, um, back to to two again, pretty much, and then changed the model, 
um, in terms of how we wanted to grow and looked at real sort of sustainable, um, a sustainable business model that would help us grow very slowly, but consistently over the years. So I joined three years ago, we had about 35 staff at that point. Um, and it's been kind of consistent up to we're 79 as I sit here at the end of February. So um, it's been great to see the growth um, and great to be involved in in a small part of that. Thanks very much for sharing. I think that's really important, particularly to uh, our listeners on the podcast, to actually understand that not only are you a North-based business like we are also, um, but also that there was a visionary of, of an individual who set up and, and started to grow a business, that he, he clearly did something well and, and it got to a certain size, but then he recognised that there was a, a potential problem there, that it was un, unlikely to be a sustainable business model and actually took it all the way back to almost, almost embryonic stage changed the business model and subsequently it's gone on from 35 to 79 in three years and and projections to continues to do so into the future certainly an award-winning multi-award winning insurance broker as a result of the way in which you do business mike thanks very much for joining us today i'm really keen to be able to get into the to, to the nitty-gritty of protection because whilst we recognize that there are somewhere in the region of about 6 million SME businesses across the UK. Hopefully most of them, are, if, not, if not all of them, are, are now subscribed and listings to the Add a Zero podcast. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it greatly concerns me that when, when we come up and talk about this, this subject of insurance and business insurance, that lots of business owners seem to scratch their head and say, do I need that? Am I big enough? there's almost lots of resistance to it and today I want to get into talking about some of the reasons why that we really ought to have this in place predominantly from from startup really um, and, the, and the benefits of doing so and the risks associated with with not giving considerations to it um, can we talk a little bit with regards to who business insurance is for yeah of course I think probably the best place to start Jay if I'm honest is is do people really understand their risks because when you talk to any business owner about insurance their immediate reaction is always i've got my uh, professional indemnity i've got my public liability i'm fine my stock's insured my vehicles are insured because they see those risks as mandatory things that keep their business safe and everybody has their own individual attitudes to risk. Some people are much more risk averse than others. I'm a particularly risk averse person myself. But what what is always, not always, but the vast majority of time is overlooked is if you if you map out where you want your business to go, in terms of impact on your business, whoever those key people are that are driving that forward, if you take them out of that, it doesn't matter what else you've got in place because you're never going to you're never going to be able to sustain and overcome that that bump in the road and that's what we try to to educate and and to get people to understand is that actually your biggest asset might be a particularly good product or a particularly good service or a particularly good um invention whatever it might be that you are that's making you successful but ultimately, that's always going to be driven by people. 
because there's no business that can run without people. And as soon as you take that person or those people out of that business, financially, your margins aren't strong enough to support it. Because if you look at even cash rich businesses, they're cash rich, but they are, they still have high operating costs. And if you, and if you derail and your turnover starts to drop, it doesn't take long before those lines overcross and you end up a very not cash rich business. If that makes Absolutely. Sense. So it's, um, it, it's very much an educational conversation to start with is to get people to, to talk about the businesses to, to really, you have to really care about someone's business to help them. That that's what I learned. Like you have to really understand what it is that, why they started it. You know, why, why did this business start? There's, you know, I've heard some unbelievable stories over the years of like, you know, ideas of, you know, conversations in a pub, people in a garden shed, you know, you, you hear it all. Um, but everybody's doing it or the vast majority of people are doing it for the same reason. They want to, they want to be successful, but they want to provide for their family. And ultimately business owners have that, that risk that yes, you have responsibility of running a business and making sure that your employees are well looked after and happy and financially going to get paid and all those types of things. But, but it's your business and it's your family that's at risk and people sometimes struggle to make that connection between mm. if I'm not able to work or somebody in my business is not able to work, I am going to suffer as an individual as well. Um, so there's a very close link between advising business owners on their business risk and but also the impact of protection on their family as well. That's fascinating. There's so many things that you've talked about there that have resonated with certainly past episodes within the podcast and all of the things that we talk about within Ad Zero. Um, one particularly with regards to planning for the future as opposed to just driving ahead regardless and hoping that we get to the right destination. Um, and another one all around people and you know the greatest asset in any business is the people within a business and the intellectual property within those people about how to do the systems and processes that generate the, the income. And if we don't look after our people, including that of ourselves, then in actual fact, where are we in business? But more importantly, and you know, you talk about risk adverse people or, or risk comfortable people. Certainly I came from a rapid deployment regiment within the army. Um, I'm, I'm not adverse to risk. I probably wouldn't have joined a, a rapid deployment regiment had I been so. Um, but to the same extent, there is a significant difference between risks that I choose to take and the risks that I'm probably not aware of. And whilst as a business owner with a small team and some overheads and some expectations and a financial demands on me and my time as a key financial fee earner within the business, I can make some financial aspirate, uh, uh, expectations and plans, I can make some risks about what I'm prepared to invest in. But one of those is, you know, before I came onto the podcast this morning, I've already done a mile and a half swim in the pool for the third time this week. It's all about personal health and personal hygiene and fitness in order to be able to be the best I can be, because I'm, I'm no spring chicken anymore. It's about being able to look after me as a human being. And perhaps some of the things that we don't write into a business plan are the succession planning for what happens if somebody has a... Now, I've, I had a client that phoned me up less than two weeks ago, 35, 36 years old, 
just had a stroke in January. Um, you know, people already have these assumptions that health is something that you deal with when you're older. He, he was less than 40 and he's had a stroke, you know, recently married, not yet had kids, uh, uh, working hard in his solopreneur business to try and drive his way forward, having recently left employment to set up on his own. And, and, and had a stroke, you know, I've, I've got the utmost respect for the man and, and, and wishing him a, a very safe and speedy recovery. But to the same extent, there was probably nowhere in the plan that said, what happens if? And perhaps today's conversation needs to be about if you are serious as a business owner about being able to have some form of strategy uh, longer than today or tomorrow, if you're serious about being an employer, and creating careers for your employees, not just jobs, then part of succession plan isn't about what will happen when I retire, when I'm 50 or 60, but what happens if you're not available for work tomorrow? Um, and some of that is about like key man insurance or, or shareholder protection. Uh, it's all about the, you know, the, the other aspects that are available for, for a few pounds a month that gives us that assurance that says it's it's safely locked away and there's the protections to be able to provide for the business and for the family and for the shareholders and stakeholders that that just that should just simply be, be taken care of and, and put in as a must purely in order that it doesn't become a risk for future consideration. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And this is the the, the probably the biggest um challenge we face as an industry in in protection is the the, the superman syndrome or the superwoman syndrome it, it'll never happen to me uh you know i'm invincible um and unfortunately we know that that it does happen because we deal with it every day and it can be a difficult conversation jay it can be a, a case of like you know do you understand the risks of the probability of something happening to you is actually higher than than you you would want it to be um and it's the impact of that as well but from a business owner perspective what i always try to do is um is talk to them in a language that they understand like because otherwise it feels like if if they don't understand the conversation they don't understand the risks then it just feels like you're trying to be sold something and that's not what we're trying to do what we're trying to do is make sure that you're continuity plan is in place so everybody has a continuity plan whether it's in their head whether it's written down whether it's a number of people whether it's in internal whether it's outsourced whatever it is there are plans in place to mitigate those risks that you have as a business owner but the Absolutely. one thing they always miss is themselves yes and that's that's the the biggest risk and the probability might be lower than you know you bump in a vehicle or stop getting damaged or whatever it might be. But the impact far, far, far outweighs it. Um, and you took, you touched on there about uh, succession planning, you know, how many business owners create something and then want to leave a legacy, want to leave, whether it's to people that have been with them on the journey, whether it's a management buyout, whether it's, uh, a family you know whether it's a family succession plan there's you know there's loads of different options but what happens if you don't get to that point you know we all work we all hope to have a long and healthy retirement but 
a lot of people don't get there, Jay. And that and that's what we're trying to help them with is to understand that financially the problems are going to happen. And I've seen it so many times, unfortunately, throughout my career where I've had conversations with people and it's like, and they come back to me two years later, you know, you know, that conversation we had, I, I wish I'd done it because this has happened or that's happened. And now I don't know what to do. Because Absolutely. I would, I would sincerely say that, you know, I, I can only hope that if there's anything good and I'm being very selective and cautious with my words that I use here, but if there's anything that is good to come out of a, a pandemic that the, that the globe has just gone through, it's about trying to wake people up to understand that regardless of what you've got in a business plan, and I'm a, I'm a big advocate for, for planning for the future, whatever you've got in a business plan, the chances are that you never wrote into a business plan what happens if the country goes into lockdown because of a global pandemic. And yet the, 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 the sinkers and the swimmers, the successors, and sadly the, the casualties of the last two years have been around people's abilities to be able to adapt and overcome to something that was completely outside of their scope of expectation when they first set out in business. And yet I'm hoping that because that's happened, and like I say, at the time of recording this, we're, we're watching the news on almost an hourly basis to find out what's happening in Russia and an invasion, as it were, into, the, uh, into, into Europe. If there's anything at all, that starts to ignite people's thoughts and consideration about, hang on a minute, what happens? Have I got sufficient in place? You know, the, the whole essence of when I set this business up seven years ago, I made a solemn promise. My first business was a casualty of Woolworths in 2008. Um, I'm not sure if I've shared this with you, Mike, but very briefly, we were a rapidly growing business. We just recently signed a supplier contract to Woolworths and 56 days later, Deloitte um, and KPMG collectively came together and agreed that it was no longer a viable business um, and put Woolworths into liquidation. We were on page 17 at the bottom of page 17 of suppliers that were gonna be impacted. Um, and at the point of that, we were, um, we had an outstanding invoice collectively for somewhere in the region of about 200, 226,000 um, pounds. As a result of that, I ended up having to lay off seven members of staff, recently appointed members of staff and just before Christmas. And the implications for us as a business to be able to try and ride out a loss of quarter of a million quid went on for some years to come. But I made a solemn vow when I set this business up seven years ago that I will not employ anybody unless I can offer them a career and not a job. And for that, it means that I've got to one, have a business plan um, that allows for growth and demonstrates growth, gives them the aspirations of, you know, we've got a, a staff organizational chart for both now and for 2023 and 2024 and 2025. So they can start to identify as to where they want to walk towards and work towards in a growing business. But for all of those, and significantly for the key players within each department, I've got to have some form of succession plan that says, I've got a role on my board, but I've not put a name on my board because there's the risk of that person may not be available to me, either through choice or through necessity, at the point where I need them. And some of that comes down to having a group protection plan in place to be able to ensure that we've got 
protections to be able to ensure and insure against uh, potential losses or recovering or recruitment fees if we suddenly lose somebody um, through ill health. We've got to have a protection in place that minimises and mitigates the risk because I want to be able to adhere to my business plan without having to deviate from it because someone might not be available. Is that not fair? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where um, the, the mindset that we hope to change um, you know, we can only do it one one conversation at a time. But but that's it. It's do you do you really believe in the value of that plan? And what I mean by that is that are you prepared to realise that your risks are on your people are not optional things to cover. They they should be mandatory. Like the mindset needs to be that this is not a luxury. This is an operating cost. This yes. is a cost of the business that gives us security that we need right now. We might not need them in five years' time. We might not need it in 10 years' time. Or we might need different types of things. But that's the whole point of the conversation. Because as you rightly started with there, two years ago or nearly three years ago now, who, who would have thought we'd be sat here all doing every conversation by Zoom, by Teams, and everybody was working from home full-time? Yes. But as you say, the best businesses are the ones that have been able to adapt and overcome. And the same thing applies when you're talking about risks on people. The problem with it is that when you've got really skilled or people that people that are so critical to a business, you can't adapt and overcome that because you can't replace them. And the what problem is, is, by the time you have, the, the financial impact is so great, it might take you five years to get back to where you were. Yes, absolutely. It's it's interesting. I mean, there's two quick things there. First of all, I recall when I was medically discharged after an accident, um, after 12 years service in the army, I recall my commanding officer looking at my my little black book, the my, my reference book, if you like, the one that's going to translate into what I'm capable of delivering to a civilian employer. And he said, do you realise, Alan, that, you know, it's all surnames in the army. He says, do you realise, Alan? He said, um, it's probably going to cost me about 125 to 140,000 pounds and nearly eight years to replace you. Um, and, uh, and that certainly resonated with me. I, it, for, for me, it was a, a key point on my, uh, on my CV um, that I've had a significant amount of investment into me um, and the skill set determines that, there's, that the succession plan perhaps wasn't there because I'd, I'd specialised so much and, and that hadn't been given considerations to. But, but further beyond that, and why I think it's so relevant to each and every person in, in every business, is when I look at my business and, and when I look at where business is going with regards to, you know, the amount of automation that's now being put into a business, the amount of um, things that are happening, machine learning and artificial intelligence that are starting to learn and, and work so much better for businesses. We've got so much more of a lean team these days than, than ever before that in actual fact, the people in our business have become so much more valuable because the, the other stuff is often done by automation and computers and systems and processes. That in actual fact, the, 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 the intelligence um, of the person that we employ and the capacity and capability of each individual in the business that's doing so many multiple different tasks these days becomes so much more difficult to replace quickly and effectively, particularly in an environment where 
you know, we've got a recruitment problem at the moment across the UK, uh, predominantly because of Brexit and, uh, and a loss of workers back into Europe. That in actual fact, the asset value of an individual member of staff is probably far higher these days than it ever used to be before. And if we can't find some form of protection, and I'm not, you know, we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds here. We're talking about two or three quid per person per week um, for some form of basic protection. But if we can't put some form of protection in place and then sell that as an asset, sell that as a, as a company benefits to the person, then surely we shouldn't really be employing people at all if we've not got the the now to, to be willing to be able to provide them with the right level of protection, not just in terms of a PPE and, and a pair of safety boots, but about being able to look after them as a human being, as opposed to just a bum on a seat. Absolutely. And it's, you know, the first thing um, I did when I joined Caspian was, was sort out our own employees, you know, because it's a passion of mine and it's something that I believe strongly in because Although we have a relatively young average age, you know, a lot of them have some protection, maybe not enough, um, especially, you know, we should know better. Um, I, I, I can thankfully say I do know better from a personal perspective, you know, I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be a great advocate if I wasn't fully protected myself, but it's true. Um, and the, the benefits that you... Um, that you see from that are astronomical. So I, this is something that's very close to my heart and it's something that is very recent to me in terms of what I've experienced over the last two or three years. So I've had from an employee, a business owner taking out protection to protect their employees. So in this scenario, it was it, a lot of it's been, been group life, or relevant life as a as a product i've had six claims in like j just existing clients of mine i've had six claims in the last 18 months wow and it's it's not until you really speak to the family of those affected do you get the benefit of a job well done mm. um and there's a great phrase from from a, a well-known person in our industry is when when someone passes away um somebody particularly somebody unexpected everybody's knocking on the door asking for things back so whether that's the mortgage lender the car finance company the credit card company everybody wants their debts paying we're the only people who are going there to give and that and that's a great way to look at it um, because financially, like people are already going through an, an incredibly difficult emotional time. If you add financial stress on top of that, it becomes unbearable for a lot of people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, unfortunately, you know, going back to, the, to, to what you mentioned there about the, the, the global pandemic, it has led to a, a, a huge increase in, in claims. Um, and, you know, not those that you would have normally expected. It's not been, you know, the average age of a critical illness claim in the UK is 48 last year. You know, it's it, it it's not people in the 70s and 80s. It it isn't. Um so it's it, you know, as a business owner, 
um, and somebody who like sits and makes decisions within a business sometimes. Like, I I feel like we have that obligation and we have a private medical scheme. We have a death in service scheme. You know, we have options to do other things as well. Like, because it's the the core of what we are and and, and most business owners can see that as a risk because they understand their responsibility mm-hmm. what they sometimes can't marry that up with is the importance of making sure that that business is still there to provide those benefits for its staff because like you said you know we do a similar thing we have we don't necessarily have it in a chart but we know where we want to get to we know the things we have to achieve but we also know where our risks are and we have the same risks as everyone else in terms of people in terms of skills and the the fascinating thing when you're sat in a boardroom with with business owners or even in a you know in a kitchen warehouse i've been in or people's garden you know there's there's it doesn't matter where you are um it's always that culture and that passion that you can't replace because those people will not just drive it today, but that's your future. That is your, your continuity plan. That is your only way of getting where you want to go is protecting those people, Jay. Absolutely. I mean, I've got to tell you, Mike, that the whole reason why I, why I started to, to, to search out and find Caspian and started with a conversation with Rachel and subsequently introduced me to yourself. The whole reason is probably about 18 months, nearly two years ago now, um, I was working with a client, um, I say an elderly client, client, that's not fair. He was older than I. Um, he'd been in business a number of years longer than I, um, because, uh, particularly because I'd, I'd done my first 12 years in service. Um, but there were three business owners, there were three shareholders in the business, and collectively, they had 33% each, if you like. Um, yeah. They'd grown the business from man and boy. It was their business. They hadn't inherited it from a parent or guardian or such. They'd set it up. But they'd been in business for somewhere around 38, nearly 40 years. And one of the business owners just starts to mute the, the, the suggestion that he was thinking about retiring in the next year or so, that we, we need to have a conversation because I'm not quite sure that I want to do this forever. Um, and they'd started to talk, they'd just been the brink of started to talk about, well, what happens when we choose that we don't want to do this anymore? And within three months, it unfortunately been diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was inoperable and it suddenly passed. Um, now, it was such a quick demise from one of the key stakeholders in the business that they were so enveloped in trying to support him and his wife, his estranged wife, um, who came back into the relationships to support him in his passing, in his final days. Um, but they were so entrenched in trying to provide help and support to him and manage his clientele that there was no thought process with regards to have you got any protection in place until it was too late. And there was no stakeholder insurance, there was no life insurance, there was no death in service insurance, there was nothing in place. Um, the business has always, always assumed that they'd taken care of that individually. And what happened is his will had never been updated from when he'd separated from his wife. And she inherited his shareholding. 
Yeah. And she blamed the business for the fact that it 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 taken ill. She said that it had it had cost them their marriage. It had cost them his health. It it had always come for. She was she was grieving. Uh, uh, like I say, a separated wife, but, uh, but but a hospitable woman nevertheless, and who just lost a lifelong partner. Um, she was in a grieving process. She just inherited thirty three percent of a business that she she felt was a contributory cause to her husband's demise or former husband's demise. And she said, "I don't want these." And she sold them to the quickest persons to pay her, yeah. who happens to be a direct competitor to the business. And within 19, 20 months afterwards, they were closing the doors and it's, a, it's it all collapsed. It's a, it's a common, um, it's a common concern that we, that we don't address enough, Jay, if I'm honest, is, you know, you set your business up with, uh, with a, with a plan, with a shareholding, with uh, articles of association or shareholders agreement, however it's done. And the intention is always that we will, we will change it or we will make sure that it's always up to date or reflective of our circumstances. And then it gets forgotten mm. and day-to-day -day life takes over. And I, I had a, a, a similar scenario where we, it wasn't one of mine. It was one of my, one of my teams, but they, they'd had the conversation. They'd had the quotes. They were all quite happy. It was, it was just a couple of years ago. And it was just before Christmas and the guy said, no, I'll tell you what, let's just wait until the new year. And unfortunately he didn't, he didn't make it through to the new year. Um, he, he had a, a, a really bad um, stroke and uh, the implications, I think it was a stroke it, uh, off the top of my head, but um, he unfortunately passed away. And the problem was that exactly almost identical scenario. They, couldn't raise the funds to buy his wife out because nobody would lend the money. Yeah. Um, so that business has struggled ever since. And, you know, even the unforeseen circumstances that if we'd have done, if they'd have just taken the time to, to do what they knew they should do two or three weeks before, mm. then that business would have been fine. Um, Absolutely, because ironically, was, a cash injections to enable the other people to be able to buy the shares and bring it back in house and and move on as a business. Um, you know, I've, I, I'm a firm believer that a business plan, whilst ought to be you know de devised by the business owner and the senior leadership team, a business plan should never just be about trying to realise what the business owner wants to be able to achieve within his own life. There's there's a level of success that we all want to attain to. But the business plan ought to be that ought to be the first milestone of where the business is going beyond that, and then have the capacity and capability within a senior leadership team and the protection elements uh, enabling that uh, at whatever time somebody exits through either choice or unfortunately necessity, that it doesn't detract from the business being able to continue to move forward. Absolutely, and that's that that comes with. Um good leadership i guess jay as well it, it comes down to you like you take caspian as a as an example because it it's a business i know inside out you know you go back five years every single idea every single decision everything was was coming from ollie's head mm -hmm. but you get to a point where you need other people 
and you yeah. need input from others because your expansion, your growth, your increase in numbers, you know, you have to get buy-in from everybody to make sure that, yes, that core principle of doing things the right way that we have here never changes, but it can be diluted as you go on. And that's why you need uh, like-minded people, but also people that are, that are prepared to adapt, you know, be having a plan is great, but how many plans go from A to B without any sort of disruption when you're talking about a business owner? I cannot think of one ever, no, ever. Where, where nothing has derailed or nothing has caused a problem or nothing has meant that they've had to change path. And we do it every day because, mm. you know, because we have different skills. I like most businesses do, but, your core principles remain the same. And as long as you've got the people that are the decision makers in that, the shareholders, the stakeholders, whoever it might be, they they need to think about individually and collectively, A, their responsibility, but B, the impact that it has on them as individuals as well. Because, yes. you know, we've all got families or reasons that we work or children or whatever it might be. But, it's the same responsibility you have to your employees. Yes. You know, you've got to look yes. after them financially. So, you know, the, the, the conversation's the same. Um, it's just how often are you having it? And if you're not having it at all, then you need to. Yes, very much so. And in particular, I mean, like I say, I mean, I, that, that search started probably about 18 months, two years ago, when as a, as a business, we needed to one review. We, we were very conscious of trying to provide some supports to the, the two the, the two remaining directors, but it very much became a, a personal journey also to say, well, well, hang on a minute. Um, how likely are we as a business to, to potentially be in the same circumstance at some stage in the future? And, and what yeah. protections have we got in place in order to be able to do so? Uh, and then go to market to say, well, if, well, if this is an impact to one of our clients and it's something that we've had to do as a business, then then how many other of our clients needs to have that conversation? And it's led us to do quite a significant amount of market research to establish as to where do we want to hang a hat? And I'm really grateful of the fact of having been introduced to Rachel, having done the research that we've chosen us to hang a hat alongside Caspian um, as, as a partner to be able to provide that. I, I, I've been taken predominantly by one Ollie's story. Um, two, we're another small business. It's not a big conglomerate where we're just a number uh, and the likes. But also the, the backgrounds to Caspian, and which is why I wanted to have you on the podcast. And like I say, which is why we've, we've chosen to be able to partner with you to be able to offer this. It, it, it's all about you are customer focused and customer centric. It's not about sales on a spreadsheet. It's not about um, generating revenue at whatever cost. One of the things that I was particularly taken about and have physically seen in every conversation I've had with them is about how can we be of service? And it's a service-based business of education that subsequently provides some help and support in product if required to do so, as opposed to a product sales business that provides a little bit of customer service if you've got a problem. And that's it. When you look at our business model in terms of... Um where our people are you know most most protection brokers in the uk will have the vast majority of their employees or a high percentage will be 
people that are bringing money in, whether they, whether you call them advisors, salespeople, whatever, however you want to term that, we're very different. You know, of our staff, we have less than forty percent of our staff are bringing people in. The vast majority are making sure that our service, whether that's from a compliance perspective, from an administration perspective, a post-sale, making sure that every single customer understands what's happened in terms of the conversation, understands what product they've got, understands why they've got it, and they know that we're here to help them, not just now, but in the future. And that's, you know, that comes from one of the first things Ollie ever said to me was about his belief in doing things the right way for your customer. That was his, I'm not moving sort of mantra. Yes. And I, I, I kind of, I thought about it and I thought, well, how do you, how do you prove, how do you prove that? Because lots of you, you talk to any business owner, they'll all say, oh, we've got a great culture. We've got a great culture, but how do you actually prove that? So Ollie's way of doing it and Caspian's way of doing it is that he recruits everybody himself, every single interview, no matter what job, what department he's in and he's conducting because he wants people and he wants to get to know people personally. And then we'll see whether your skills are right for the job. It's about the person. And that, as we've grown, has become even more important um, because the culture and the ethos of doing things the right way are not, it's not negotiable for us. It's something that you, you know, you have to have in you that you will do the right thing all the time absolutely and and that's evident because of the amount of customer focused uh, awards that caspian have won um but it's written into your ethos it's uh, like you say it's the way in which you recruit every single person um i recall um you, you've just sparked a memory i recall part of the research that we did insta add a zero and, and 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 the colossal amount of data we got about 1.6 um 1.6 million cells of uh, excel spreadsheet cells of data that we used to be able to correlate what is now the Adazero methodology. And one of the things that we were looking at is the impact of culture in a business. Now, I'm not gonna name the two businesses that we researched because one, they're still in operation and, and, and that, would be, that would be unethical to be able to talk about the, the difference between the two. Um, if you want to know it, buy the book Adazero and you'll find it in the, uh, in the <laughs> culture section. Um, but, but for the basis of this, one of the things that we looked at is staff retention value um, to find out as to how many people treat this as a is an interim job whilst they're looking for something else and how many people stay through thick and thin. Uh, and we did two comparisons to, to, to national businesses um, on the high street delivering pretty much exactly the same type of thing in direct competition with each other. But one had a staff retention value of about four years, seven months. Um, it was the average turnover of churn rate of, of, of a member of staff in a role compared to 13 years one month at their direct competitor. Um, and when you looked at it side by side, you find that one that was customer centric and staff centric, people centric, and the other one that was profit driven. Um, and where money became before, before people, uh, what we saw was a culture of churn of people that it was a it, it, it was a it was a product-based business if you like it was in and out in and out in and out there was there was no longevity to it whereas the one that concentrated on people 
um, both their staff and their customers, and money took care of itself as a direct result of that, we saw almost a three times fold increase on loyalty of both customers and members of staff. And then the other thing I wanted to very briefly share, and I've, I think I've, I've said this once on a podcast before, but it is worth repeating. Mike, um, I, I'm assuming you're somewhat younger than I, but you're probably not too young to remember the Tom and Jerry uh, cartoon series, um, usually on TV from time to time. I remember I'm, it well, Jerry. presume you're familiar with Tom and Jerry. Um, I am indeed, mate. I'm a firm believer of business, and perhaps this is relevant to Caspian also, that Tom represents the fat cat, which is chasing cash. And, and in every business, in every culture, there is somebody out there that is so hungry for, for the, the, the fat cat of life that's just hungry for, for, for money that nothing else matters. And they run around like a blue-ass cat um, chasing cash. And do you know what? Jerry represents cash. And he's always quicker, faster, smarter. He always evades capture and sometimes sits and laughs at Tom making such a fool of himself. And yet eventually, in every cartoon of Tom and Jerry, eventually Tom gives up. He's usually battered and bruised and knackered and, and a little bit disheveled. And he sits down and gives up. And Jerry gets bored of not being chased and comes and gives him the cheese. And I think the analogy is if we simply chase money, money will always evade capture. It's always one step ahead of us. Whereas in actual fact, if we look at the impact of our actions, if we simply chase a different set of values, and that is about people, it's about protection, it's about being doing the right thing regardless of whether anyone's looking or not. If we do all of the right things, then in actual fact, money gets bored of not being chased and it comes and finds you anyway. Couldn't agree more. And that's what we, you know, we have a business to run uh, just like everybody else. Um, but we know what will make us a success and it's not chasing cash it's having the right cultures you, we are in a service industry that's where we that's where we differ most people in financial services think that they're selling or or their aim is to either to make as much money as possible as quickly as possible or to sell a product yes yeah but we're not we're selling a service and we're selling a peace of mind to our customer that that they are in a better financial place having had a conversation with us than they were before and that will sorry and i was just going to say that that will hopefully continue for us to make us a sustainable successful business over the long term because that's our aim absolutely and you know the evidence speaks for itself. You've said, you know, I've been there three years. There was 35-ish staff. There's now 79 staff, and we're not chasing money. Um, I challenge businesses that are chasing money that had 35 staff three years ago, pre-COVID, whether they've got 79 staff in the last three years as a direct result of chasing cash, because I would challenge that probably not. Um, Mike, it's been an absolute delight to have you was on the podcast today. I'm going to make sure in the show notes that we'll be able to make um, connect, connections with regards to how people can best be able to connect with you and your teams to be able to have a completely complimentary conversation about them and their business 
and the types of protection that they ought to have in place, perhaps a review of what they've already got in place in order to be able to receive some education about what they ought to consider for the future. Perhaps it's to purchase a, a product or service from your plethora of offerings, but perhaps it's just that reassurance that they've got the things in place. Mike, I'm so grateful for your time this morning. Thank you so much for joining us and for partnering with us in order for us to be able to provide those services to our clients. Thank you. Absolute pleasure, Jay. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Vita. That's all for this episode. As always, we really thank you for listening and welcome your comments, thoughts, and suggestions. So please do drop us a line by emailing podcast at mytruenorth.biz. And don't forget, if you haven't already done so, hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening to this through. And tell your colleagues and business network all about who we are. You've been listening to the Add a Zero podcast presented by Jay Allen. Brought to you in association with My True North, the UK's leading ethical coaching company. 